And welcome to another edition of Across the County. I'm Noah. Thank you so much for joining me. Well, it is time I bring on a true American. Why? Because there's important stuff out there to talk about, and we have to make sure we get the information out to you guys. And I am talking about an unabashed super spreader of Americanism, and that is needed right now more than ever. My friend Rick Elkin. Go to rickelkin.com. He's a columnist, a pundit, an author of fine books. And two of the books are actually going to tie into our conversation today. First off, Rick, welcome back to the show, my friend. It's been a while, but it's always a pleasure. We're starting kind of a theme uh, that we're going to be going across on a monthly basis, talking about a different topic. Education this month, oh, so important. But thanks for coming back. I appreciate it. Well, thanks for having me. I always enjoy talking to you, Noah, and uh, you know me. Education is one of my favorite topics. We could talk about it all day. 28 minutes is not long enough. But the problem is, uh, in education, it goes back decades, if you ask me. But about 9-11, when the World Trade Center towers fell, you actually describe this in your book, Turn Right at Loss, which is my favorite book of yours from over the years, and I've read excerpts of it over and over again uh, because they're very timely. But that day on 9-11, the world really shifted in so many ways. We're going to get to the education part of it in just a moment. So let's start there, Rick. What happened in the world that day, and has America gotten better or worse since then? Well, real briefly, let me... uh put a little bit in context. That morning, my wife and I were laying in bed, and we usually let the radio wake us up, you know, for our alarm. So we were listening to, uh, you know, a couple of, I remember it was Sunny West. I don't remember what station he was on, but I always liked him. He was a great DJ. And and as we woke up, he was saying, if you're near a television, go turn it on. Something weird has happened. And so I didn't pay a lot of attention at first. He said, an airplane has flown into the trade center in new york city and it's clear day and i then looked like this plane got lost in the fog so i gradually weighed my way out in the living room and clicked on the tv right about that time another plane hit and i saw it and it was a jet and suddenly i'm like oh my god what is going on so my wife was in the shower and my kids are both in bed and i go knock on their door and i go get your butts out here you need to see what's happening. And so anyway, make a long story short, we both, all of us, stood in front of the TV for hours watching this whole thing unfold. And I was saying to my kids, this is an iconic moment comparable to Pearl Harbor. Our country is under attack. And this will be a day we will all remember, and I want you to think about that. Um, and so really, right away, I just knew, you know, this wasn't going to be just another terror attack. This was something different. So the question is, what changed on that day? And I think you can never get your innocence back. And up until that point, Americans, at least in my generation, had been innocent. We live on an island between the Atlantic and the Pacific Ocean, and we were protected. We were protected from the Korean War. We were protected from, you know, even World War II to a large degree. Nothing ever happened in America. And all the wars and all the turmoil around the world always happened somewhere else. And all of a sudden, it was happening in New York City. And so I think this was awakening for a lot of us that, that we, weren't, we were no longer going to be, you know, isolated from world events and world terror and turmoil 
and that people out there hated us and they were after, they wanted to take us down. And so, you know, as the days went on, it was horrible and we all mourned and everybody joined hands and sang, you know, the national anthem on the front steps of the Capitol building. But I remember thinking to myself, you know, I don't trust these politicians. I don't think this is going to last very long. And of course it didn't. The flag flying sooner or later became considered nationalist. And people said, well, these Republicans wrapped themselves in the flag, you know, and all that. So I believe this was the change of guard when America started to divide politically more so than it had maybe since the Civil War. Um, and I think it's just grown. And now here we are, you know, this September is the 20th anniversary of 9-11. And I think it's 20-year-old sore that has gotten worse and metastasized. And we are confronted right now with the same kind of terror that our country isn't dealing with this. It's almost like PTSD. We just kind of pushed it under the rug and tried to act like it didn't happen and tried to act like everything is normal, but we all know it's not. And we all have this thing in the back of our head that we saw something terrifying and it's, and it's damaged us. And, um, so I always make the case that I, I, you know, people say, well, what is going on in our country? Why are we struggling so much? And I say, we have PTSD. If you've known anybody who has it, you know, that you don't just take an aspirin. It causes all kinds of social and uh, cultural problems. And I believe this is part of it. And, um, so to me, 9-11 is still really a sore spot in my life and really one of the reasons I decided to start writing seriously. Well, we're glad that you did. You have so many great books, and we're talking about a couple of them today that tie into our discussion. And I think coming out of 9-11, you hear a bunch of people, and you still hear it today, never forget. But I think, and I'm not saying everybody, I'm not using a broad brush, but I think a lot of people have forgotten. I think that's a lot of the indoctrination that we're going to talk about with the education system. And so the question is, did Americans wake up? I think they did, but I think certain people have forgotten or they've gotten lazy or they've let the politicians control more of what they see and what they believe. And that's where it comes to the kids, Rick. And I know you're concerned. I'm concerned with our kids and our country. It really starts and ends with education. So what happens Rick, to our kids, if we don't get our country back, if we don't stand up, if we don't do it now, and if we don't start to make sure that all of this tomfoolery, we'll keep it PG here on the show, that is infringing on our educational system, if it's not really taken down to where they're not being taught what they're supposed to be taught. They're being taught a Marxist agenda at the end of the day, or at least they're trying to push that on our kids. You know, I, I think one of the good things that's going to come out of this uh, COVID lockdown and um, whatever you want to call this disaster that we've been going through um, is the way that Schools were shut down and students were forced to go home. And this then um, allowed or forced the parents to participate directly with what their students were seeing. And in many ways, it gave them an insight, a keyhole 
into the classroom so they could actually see what these kids are, are being exposed to and how they're being treated in the classroom setting. And, you know, obviously it's different when you're talking about, you know, elementary school and intermediate school versus high school and advanced education. It's a little bit different. But the point is that our generation has passed the, our kids onto these schools thinking that and trusting that the schools are, you know, essentially taking care of our kids and giving them what they need to know so that they can go on to a successful career and adulthood. And I think we're, this, this uh, connection through the Internet now has made a lot of people aware that that's not at all what they're doing. Um, and one of the major things people are understanding, I think, now, and this is one of the themes of my last book, is that the schools are dividing the students from their parents. They're characterizing their parents as unknowledgeable, old-school people who are not modern, and you need to leave them behind and follow us. So they're actually assuming parenthood and telling their children, don't listen to your parents anymore. And I think this is criminal. Uh, and I don't think most parents had any idea that was going on until after their kids come home from a four years college and walk in the house and suddenly they can't talk to them anymore. They can't communicate with them anymore. And they realize their kids don't even like them. And I, I, you know, often do presentations and with audiences and afterwards people come up to me and say, you know, you just touched on something that is really ruining my life. I don't have a relationship with my kids anymore. And it all happened when they went away to school. So I think this is much bigger issue than, first of all, the mainstream media doesn't touch it. But secondly, the average person doesn't really have a, a clue of how serious a problem this is and how entrenched these left-wing progressives are in school administrations, school unions. They have a fraternity, and they are not going to give it up. They like the power they have. They like the salaries they get. They like the benefits they get. They are in pig heaven. And so if parents start to fight back, they're going to find out this is a really tough battle. And we're finding that out right now with, uh, you know, CRT, this whole uh, critical race theory. And parents are absolutely rebelling. And then the parents are being told, well, you're a racist. Now my kids hate me because I'm a racist and you are in charge of my kids and I'm paying you? Uh-uh. This isn't happening. <laughs> yeah, so. I've been noticing that too. You're seeing a lot of parents right now and good for them standing up against this critical race theory. And I'm all for diversity and being taught about, you know, proper uh, history, what has gone on, what we've learned from it. And that's fine. But this critical race theory is absolutely ridiculous. And the parents that are standing up are finding out that they have a tough battle, but they continue to stand up. And so that gives me hope, Rick. By the way, Rick Elkin, oh, yeah. my guest right here on Across the County. He's a columnist, a pundit, and author of so many great books. And we're talking about a couple of them today. Turn right at Lost, Recalculating America. And we're going to dive into deeply the illusion of knowledge here in just a moment. So we when did you really notice, Rick, our youth was being indoctrinated and not being taught what they need to be taught? And what levels of education were being affected? And is it better or worse today than it was when you first noticed this? Well, I first noticed it in 1970. Like, now I'm really telling everybody how old I am, but I was a junior in college, 
and I was very interested in, you know, civics, um, you know, political science, um, also radio and television. I was really interested in the media. And one of my professors asked me if I would be interested in volunteering for a summer sort of a, a workshop, this six-week thing, volunteer, no pay, but I would be able to pick the career that I thought I might go into, and they would find someone that would sponsor me, and I would go to work for them, and I'd just follow them around for six weeks. And they said, so if you were to do that, you know, what would you pick? And I said, well, I've always fantasized about producing television commercials, because to me, TV commercials are like a little 30-second movie. And, um, you know, it's fun. you got to get your pitch in in 30 seconds and make it beginning, middle, and end, make sense, and sell something. They said, okay, well, let me see what we can do. So they came up with a guy in Hollywood that was a producer for one of the top Leo Burnett agencies, the top three agencies in the world. He volunteered to take me on for six weeks, and I followed him around. And it was an eye-opening experience, and I really had a – the guy was a great guy, and we got involved in producing TV ads and radio ads and all kinds of stuff. And, um, you know, so six weeks intense every day, six hours, maybe seven. You know, those guys in Hollywood don't work that hard. So after I finished it and I graduated, um, I went back and I took my resume and I went back to the different agencies that we had worked with um, and people that I knew. I kept a log and, you know, like title houses and film production houses and all these different things. And, um, so I walked in and I handed it off and, you know, I made my little pitch and I never got a call back. I never got anything back. No letters back. No nothing. I got nothing. Wow. And so six months later, I'm pretty, you know, I'm out of college now trying to figure out what to do with myself. Um, I was working in the ski industry just to make some money, but I wanted to get into Hollywood. And so I, I called this producer up and he said, well, come and see me. And so I went and he met me down in the lobby he sat down and he said, what can I do for you? And I said, well, tell me, why am I getting nowhere? Why am I not getting any response? Because these people we worked with, they know me, and they know what I'm capable of. And, you know, we had a little bit of a relationship. I'm not just somebody who just walked in off the street. Yeah. He said, okay, I'm going to give you the bad news. I said, what's that? He goes, I just want to be honest with you. He said, you're white and you're male you don't have a chance in hell. And I looked at him like, what? <laughs> I had no idea what he was talking about. Mm -hmm. And he said, you have to understand the Nixon administration believes that Hollywood is dominated by males and white males. And so they have come in and they've quietly told everybody in Hollywood behind the scenes, fix this or we will pass legislation to force you to. If you do it on your own, be quiet, it won't be a problem. But if you don't do it, we're going to force you to do it. So he said, you know, you just don't fit the profile. And I said, okay, uh, what do you recommend? He says, move to Timbuktu, start there. I said, you know, so I said, okay, thanks. I started walking. He goes, whoa, 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 one more thing. I said, what's that? He goes, you know, you got to understand, Hollywood is a prime job. Everybody wants to work here. So even if we didn't have this, you know, mandate, um, it would be hard for you to get a job. And I'll tell you why. Let's say I was looking for an assistant and I hired you. 
I would be sleeping on the sofa because my wife would wonder why I didn't hire her brother. Hmm. I said, okay, I get it. And he said, it's really paternalistic. And, you know, so it's very, very hard for outsiders to break in in this market. And it's even harder now for a white male. You know, so that was my first exposure to reverse discrimination and awareness that there was this kind of thing going on. Um, and I also tell the story that when I was in college, I did a student exchange where I went to USC campus for a day and they sent a student to Long Beach State where I went for a day. And, you know, we were just trying to kind of see what goes on at these different classes, these different um, uh, campuses. And I ended up getting kidnapped and locked in a room with four activists, one from the Black Panthers, one from Students for a Democratic Society, one from the Raza, blah, blah, blah. And all they did was attack me and tell me that I was a white male misogynist. Uh, and, you know, after four or five hours of being completely bushwhacked and, and propagandized, I finally said, yeah, you're right, okay, I'll buy into it because I just want it out of there. And I ended up acting just exactly like a prisoner of war would act. I agreed with my captors. It's the Stockholm Syndrome. After a while, you just break down and give in. Yeah. And I honestly didn't buy into it. On my way home, I was like, wow, i got to rethink everything, because at that point, I was a leftist, hippie, anti-war Democrat. Uh, but I started to realize I had it all backwards, um, that these guys were criminals. They were racist. It opened your eyes, and didn't it? Absolutely. And that was, I think that was in 69. So that's when my sort of, you know, change of paradigm started. And then over the years, it's just strengthened. And, you know, I, I started really paying attention to what was going on in the schools. And I, I just believe that over this now, what, couple of two, three generations, our schools have become iconoclastic captives to the left-wing philosophy because they can do that because they're protected, you know, because they, you know, everybody thinks about um, curriculum freedom. You know, we don't want to interfere with what's being taught. We don't want government involved in it. And so they can do whatever they want. Nobody's controlling them. Nobody's monitoring them. Nobody's checking out what they're doing. And that's why they're indoctrination centers, Rick. Exactly. And they, you know, if you've talked to anybody who's ever worked in that industry, and I have several friends that are professors, they will tell you, you never reveal if you're conservative, because you will never get promoted. You might even get drummed out of a job. Um, but it is a, a very closed society, and you have to play along to get along, or you won't be able to move along at all. Um, and you have to be very careful what you say and who you say it to. Well, and now in the educational system, we're having to deal with the fact that they're really coming out hard and pushing the CRT. And on top of that, too, you got everything that's going on with the pandemic. And I'm all about freedom of choice. You want to wear a mask, wear a mask. You want to take the vaccine, take the vaccine. You're having a lot of colleges. I'm actually hearing from people in my family that have friends that are saying, hey, I know somebody and they're not able to go to college unless they get the vaccine and they don't want the vaccine and they don't know what to do. Well, this is bullying, really, and, it, and it's, uh, it's happening all, in all the industries. But to, to do it to students, first of all, we know if you have half a brain, you know young people don't get COVID. 
And if they do, they survive it. And they don't give it. And they don't transmit it. Survive it. They don't trans. It's just it's just not right to focus on them at all. So this tells me there's a different agenda at play. This is a power play. It's all about control. I mean, I have a friend who's student can't go to class and they've already paid the tuition and the school will not refund their tuition. That's wow. extortion. Oh, that's what we're talking about in my mind. That's criminal extortion. Um, so, so I, you know, this is just another way of dividing society, creating an us versus them mentality. That's the goal. It's one issue after another. If, if it's not racism, it's COVID. If it's not that, it's genderism. If it's not this, it's that. There's no end to it. There's no end to it at all. Rick Elkin, my guest. So we're going to switch over to some of the things that are in the illusion of knowledge. People can check it out at rickelkin.com. They can go over to Amazon, and if they want to make a purchase there, they can buy it on Amazon. Uh, Why so many educated Americans embrace Marxism. So I'm going to ask you this next question, Rick, in two parts. So up until about 2016, uh, we all know what happened uh, then, something just fabulous. Uh, before the, the the direction of the country changed, at what education level were these Marxist ideals being taught? And then my second part to the question is, right now, do you think that the education system is going to remain unchecked with CRT? Or do you see enough of these parents that are pushing back to where we're going to start to see you know what, maybe we need to stop pushing this on the schools because obviously this is not what the parents want. Well, you know, we have two problems here. One of them is that the school system is not um, a competitive atmosphere. So the marketplace pressures are a little different. They're not as easily applied as they would be. You know, for example, we can stop buying Coke since Coke went woke. Um, and, And they felt that. And I, they backpedaled a little bit because of that. Now, whether they'll completely, you know, go backwards or whatever you want to call it, we don't know. But one thing is you can exert financial pressure on competitive marketplace. The problem with colleges, uh, whether they're private or not, is they're really not functioning in a competitive marketplace. And so the only way that, that we can change them is to not go there and not fund them. And there's problems with that because a lot of people are college football fans. Where do colleges get a lot of their money? They get it from football. And you don't think they're going to give up just because they're woke. So I think this is a challenge that, you know, how do you purge these, these uh, administrations? And not to mention the fact that they're all being run by unions. Well, what are unions? The unions are collectivist organizations. They're essentially communists. And they run, the, they're the largest union in the, in the nation, the NEA. So they run all this stuff, and they're the ones who negotiate these great retirement packages and these, you know, who gets what, and where the money goes, and all that. So this is a big financial challenge, and the only way to respond to it is to not participate. This is my advice to parents of college-age students is find another way to educate your student. Frankly, they're not getting an education there anyway. Unless they're a doctor or some, you know, particular specific um, expertise, you know, if they're, if they're going to college to learn how to be a brain surgeon, well, that's different. I think you'll find that most of the science divisions of these colleges aren't anywhere near as political because, you know, you can't be political about two plus two. It equals four, and that's the end of it. So 
the science divisions and some of the other particular um, you know, professions, probably not as big a problem. But when you're just kind of sending your kid to a college for general ed, you know, a BA or something like that, they're not learning anything. No, they're not learning a thing, Rick. They're not learning anything. And so that's where you have to find an alternative school that is, they don't have to necessarily be conservative, although that does not hurt, but one that's not going to put these draconian restrictions and edicts that if you don't do it our way, uh, we're either going to fail you or you're not getting in. Uh, Something positive we'll end with, and I want your feedback on this, I just found out that as of about a week ago, 21 states have introduced bills that would control teaching CRT or at least keep a tab on teachers and how they discuss racism. And out of these 21 states, four have already turned it into law. Idaho, Iowa, Tennessee, Oklahoma. This is the way we start to get our schools back. But I'd like this to be 50 states, Rick. Well, I totally agree. And I think this is fantastic. We've got to note one thing, and that's those are all flyover country states. <laughs> yeah, exactly. The challenge will be, can we get Texas and California and New York and, you know, those states? And the, uh, the answer is probably not. But I do agree this is one major step forward because it brings, it puts a light on this. And I think that's critical so that we at least have the discussion. Um, I think the other thing I recommend is if your kid doesn't know what they want to do with themselves when they're going off to a four-year college, you know, go to a trade school, learn a trade, or better yet, Get a job. Uh, give me a perfect example. I had a plumber over here the other day just to clear my sink. And young guy, you know, tattooed up, all beefy, looked at me like a Marine. So after he finished, I said, you know, are you, uh, are you military? And he says, yeah, I'm Marine. I said, well, thank you for your service, man. I really appreciate it. Um, so how long have you been working for this company? He said, I've been here about two and a half years. I said, is it a good job? He goes, great job, man. I really like it. And I said, so did they train you? He goes, yep full training and it's a six, six, six figure salary and a truck. So I went online and I looked at several of the major uh, plumbing groups in San Diego, almost without exception. They're all saying, come to work for us and we will guarantee a six figure income and give you full training. Now, I would much rather have my kids start off at 18 or 19 years old making six figures and learn a skill than go waste four years partying at Santa Barbara State College. Oh, for sure. And they might even at Santa Barbara, they might be learning things that even if critical race theory, all that stuff aside, they might learn stuff that they're not even going to use in their career. A lot of these trade schools, I think they're being underappreciated. I think in today's age, that's the way to go. Yeah, you know, and you can, once you get a job like that and you're making that kind of money, you know, you have a lot of freedom then if you want to take night classes or online classes and improve yourself, well, go for it. You know, online classes now are much more available and much more um, accepted, and especially if you're working, because just the fact that you're working means a lot to another employer. This is one of the biggest problems employers have is finding people that will show up every day. And they'll tell you the worst ones are college graduates. They don't want to work. They don't have a work ethic. They don't know how to be consistent. They just are useless, you know. So, so if you went and you worked for a plumber for three or four years and you made three, four hundred thousand dollars, now go online and move up the chart. Next thing you know, maybe you're a manager at that plumber. Next thing you know, you own your own business. But my point is, is we've got to get out of this mentality that you know every kid 
needs to go to a four-year college, that's a bad idea, and it doesn't serve the kids well. Look at how many kids are out there, and they're in their young 30s. They still haven't landed anywhere. They don't know what to do with themselves. They don't have any real marketable skills. And so a lot of them are still living at home. Yeah. And yeah. their future isn't very bright because they don't know what to do with themselves. So this, my, my point is, is that we've got to break the public's um, addiction to the idea that college is for everybody. You know, send them on a trip around the world. They'll learn a lot more doing that than, you know, going off to party in college for, I know what I did the first couple of years when I was in college. Well, I'll tell you, I, I told my kids right off the bat when they graduated high school, I'm like, if you guys want to go to college, this is what you can expect from it. This is what you can learn. And I support you, you know, and you'll be able to, you know, maybe narrow a focus. But if you want to work full time and you just want to go that route, I'm perfectly okay with that, too, because that's something that in society it's almost frowned upon. But you're working hard. Yeah. You're making money for yourself. You're putting yourself out there. I think more people should be given that option instead of being, you know, well, you're not successful if you do that. Well, it opens doors, too. You know, usually when you're working like that, you're being exposed to other people in other industries, and they note that. They look at you and they go, hey, you know, this kid's sharp, you know, and he shows up every day. And maybe he could come to work for me. And so to me, this is how you, you know, you don't get jobs, you know, I mean, I don't know. I, I don't know what happens after four years of college nowadays, but I don't think you can go to an employment agency with a four-year degree and really have much of an advantage. You're going to end up with a entry-level job. Well, yeah, and, and a, a degree a degree doesn't guarantee a job at all. I know so many people in my life, not going to name names, that have a four-year degree and they're not using it in any way. Well, I never used mine. I ended up with a degree in radio and television production, and I never used it at all. Well, I just want to say um, the only reason we have you on the show, Rick, is because we know you have that that uh, that broadcast degree. So uh, you know you're you're putting it to good use, my friend. Well, uh, yeah. Now I'm 70 years old. It's a little late, <laughs> <laughs> but you know. But what happened was um, I I had worked in a ski shop while I was in college, and the only reason I did that is because my mom was bored, kids were gone, and we're a ski family. So that was something we all did together. And she knew some people who had a ski business. She went to work for them. And then when I was looking for a way to get some money, she said, why don't you come down to the shop and maybe we can find a place in the back for you to work and, you know, grind ski bases and, and set bindings and blah, blah, blah. So that's what I did. I did that part-time. And then when I got out of college and I couldn't get a job in Hollywood, uh, I went back to the ski shop and next thing you know, a couple of the salesmen went on a ski trip and they put me out on the floor and I was selling the heck out of skis. And so they noticed that and they opened another store. And so next thing you know, I was a salesman instead of a ski grinder, you know? Yeah. And so that's how, how it works in real world is you get exposure, you learn new skills, somebody offers you an opportunity, you step up to the plate, you network, all these kinds of things. But the main thing is you learn to be reliable. You do. This is what most college kids don't get. And, and they don't get it from the school. Well, what I would like um, to do, we got about 60 seconds left. I mean, I could talk to you for another hour on this topic, and maybe we'll get back to education next in another month. I th but we are going to focus on something else uh, in, the, in the coming month. However, I don't want to poo-poo schools. What I do want to do is ask you a final question in about 60 seconds, Rick. If people do want to go the school route, hey, that's important. I'm not saying that don't go to college. How do we get our schools back? 
Well, you know, I, my kids went through college and they survived, and both of them are pretty conservative now. Um, and so I think the point is, is if you've got a strong family, you've got an advantage. Uh, I think this is really, really critical to emphasize faith and family. And if you have that, then you can trust that your kids won't be completely brainwashed. Um, short of that, how do we get our schools back? We have to get involved. We have to go to the meetings. We have to do what these parents are doing and, and challenge these administrators face-to-face about this crazy, racist, you know, critical race theory. Um, and there's more to it than that. And we need to confront them on their budgets, um, on their curricula, on this gender issue. I mean, you know, nowadays science, they're teaching science and they're telling kids there's 134 genders. That's not science. So we have to challenge that. And I think if we do that, we can gradually, then we have to look at how do these people get into these positions in college? How do they get qualified to teach our children? We need to put some controls on that and some, you know, uh, we have to vet them, essentially, just like we do our, our politicians. Well said, Rick Elkin. Check him out, rickelkin.com. Find all of his books there, including his latest venture, which is The Illusion of Knowledge, Why So Many Educated Americans Embrace Marxism. Rick, thanks for really breaking it down with education. I think we covered a lot of ground today. I'm excited to find out what our next topic is going to be next month. But I know this will not be the last time we talk on education because this is the forefront of what we're dealing with and getting our nation back. I appreciate it. No, I'm I'm available anytime. I appreciate your time. We're calling you at midnight, so be up. All right, man. Noah here on Across the County. Stay tuned. There's more coming up. Go to rickelkin.com.